Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hi everyone, just before we unbolt the doors to the Mary Rose, a little shout out to say that we are on Patreon. If you head to patreon.com forward slash history hack, you can see all the amazing tiers which start from just £3 a month. We know you all do so much for supporting us, and we are ever so grateful for that. But if you're able to give us a bit of help through Patreon, we can keep this podcast going from strength to strength. We all thank you for your continued support, and without further ado... Hello, and welcome to History Hack. This evening, we are back in the Merry Rose. I have spit-shined the glasses, put fresh sawdust on the floor for the various steamers that will undoubtedly make an appearance over the course of the evening. We've got a pretty full house so far. We're sort of spread across continents. We have a bunch of people giggling like children. So as you can see, the standard will be at its normal low ebb. Let's start in Mexico, shall we? Kit, how the devil are you, sir? I'm very well. It's very hot here, I've got to admit. It's the middle of the afternoon, so the sun is burning down on me, but I'll persevere. Well, that's good to hear. I'm, I'm, you know, take, taking one for the team, of course, because it's um, it's shit here in the ocean at the moment, just to say that. Um, it's very rainy. Um, but yes, wonderful to see you. Um, let's move on to Marin, who's currently hiding behind her hair. Yep, I'm all right. You're good? We'll start yep. calling you cousin, cousin It from now on. Cousin It? Yeah, no, I'm good. Everything's good here. Everything's great. Everything's sunny. Everything's coming out roses. So you don't see Marin for a while and then you see her like this and you realize nothing's really changed. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we're, we're looking good. Who, else, who should we go to next? James, how are you, sir? Yeah, not too bad. Shit weather. Good day. Um, so, yeah. It could be worse. Just look at Kit. He's melting slowly on screen. So Yeah, but he's also not in the UK. So that's probably a blessing in disguise. No, we, 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 we miss him because I want a copy of his new book if his publisher has ever let him publish it. <laughs> um, true. Right. Sorry, what's that, mate? No, I just said true. <laughs> yes. It's going to be a great book. Well, if we big it up enough, then we have legitimate reason to complain about it if it doesn't reach our high standards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's, stay- he's staying on mute and, and making faces now, so we'll, we'll, we'll move swiftly on. Uh, who should we go to next? Let's see if Chris is awake, because that's always debatable when, when we sort of see him on these sorts of things. My dear Mr. Sams, it is lovely to see you again after our road trip. Yes, yes, and you. Glad we both survived. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Greggs didn't have any uh, 
adverse effects, did it? No, no. But then I've, I've, I eat from my local takeaway from time to time. And um, if I can survive that, I can survive Greg's. So you're well inoculated then. <laughs> and dicey, whatever meat this is and chips. <laughs> That's it, mayo, a local takeaway. <laughs> we, we don't have any nearby. Uh, Medway, not upmarket enough for bread. <laughs> no. We have a wimpy. Oh, winner. So we got one of those in Horsham as well. I didn't know they still existed until I moved down here. Lockie, do you have a wimpy? We do in Woolwich. Yeah, Woolwich was actually where we got the first McDonald's in the entire country uh, here, but we also still have our wimpy, um, which is epic news. Am I right in remembering back in like the 80s, McDonald's used to serve knives and forks with their food in England? Is that true? Or am I? No. Or was I think, yeah. Wim- Wimpy did, but not McDonald's. Must have been, yeah. It must have been Wimpy we went to. Because I remember that blowing my mind being in a burger place, Canadian lad over here on holiday and being given a knife and fork and expected to eat my burger like that. Who the only person who's ever had their mind blown by Wimpy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It shows, shows the size of my mind, really, doesn't it? <laughs> um, speaking speaking of blown minds, Beth, have you recovered yet? Not quite. I never recover from anything that he's said on any of these down the pubs at all. I've been scarred for life by you group of people. She says, Yay. taking a massive swig of wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got to keep up somehow. No, of course, yeah. And of course, dear listener, if you think our tone is pretty low on what we record, you should see what we cut out of this show. It's uh, <laughs> it's terrifying, frankly. It's absolutely um, horrifying. I was I was a really good girl before I started with all of you, hanging out with all you people. Look at me now. That's not what I've heard. <laughs> yes, what, what we were discussing so much, it's caused Tinkerbell to melt off of her wine glass. It's uh, <laughs> Stop it. Okay. Only half. It's not even half past seven yet. (laughs) Five, save us. I'm jolly well, thank you. It's lovely to be back. It's been far, far too long since I did one of these. And I'm very excited to learn from all these proper historians about history tonight. You've dialed into the wrong Zoom again, Clive. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to show a bit of enthusiasm. (laughs) I, I, I know I'm quite excited because I've, I've I've missed out a few of these for various reasons, and then I get thrown in to actually have to have to pretend to be in charge, which yeah is always a bit scary. But luckily, you're doing a got... very good impression of Alex, anyway. Except you haven't sworn enough. Well, I kind I kind of figured she swears enough for three or four of these episodes. So I'm going to try to try to be good through most of it. My wife told me this evening that she had just been listening to one of the History Hack episodes. She said, "But it was strange." Alex didn't do any swearing. There's, there's, there's a button when we upload the episode. So they got profanity. Yes, no. And I'm like, well, just leave it on. Yes, it's fine. We shouldn't have to really choose this. And then the YouTube one. Is this made for children? No. Yeah, just hard code that button in. Um, I have Heather, never got through a single episode without Alex at least dropping a bastard in there. <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that, that, the, that the idea of Alex dropping a bastard is not one that comes easily to mind. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, we're going to pay for this. We really are. Um, Heather, save us. There's no saving. <laughs> There's no saving. <laughs> Only like the supply teacher, like you know, Alex might might be sweary, but at least there's some discipline here. It's all, it's all just going, I think, with uh, with Boney in charge. It, it it is like that moment when the teacher's a couple of minutes late, and then somebody you don't recognise comes in and tries to stamp their authority, and you just know it's all going to go to shit very quickly. Um, right there, you go. So Heather's put the nail in the coffin by saying that we're we're we're, we're doomed, which leaves. Very- which leaves Zach, who's looking thoroughly disappointed at all of us for, for not keeping the high standards of history hack up. How are you, Zach? Oh, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm crying with laughter here, just thinking what Alex is going to do to you when she hears this back and uh, <laughs> permanently sacks you, Boney. <laughs> well, my, my cunning plan is now out. Did, did you leave history hack? No, I was sacked. So that sounds that sounds better. But then, of course, you you never really get out, do you? You're always dragged slowly back in one way or another. It looked great well, on your CV. <laughs> yes, like like many of the other short stints that appear on my CV. That was stints, people, stints. Um, right, and our we we were I was going to say soul judge tonight, but I'm going to pull double duty with you, Holmes, this evening to keep you company and make sure you can go to the loo at regular regular intervals. Yeah, I, I tend to only I, I know I'm fairly old, but I tend to only need to go once during one of these recordings. It's not a every ten minutes thing, but I mean, no, it's good to be back. I've not I didn't do the last one, so it's been a while since I've done one of these. And then I was just trying to remember, you know, how best to dispense justice, really. But it's you know basically give everyone a fair hearing listen to each each case on its merits and then basically ensure clive doesn't win at the end that's what we do wasn't it <laughs> yep. that's, that, that's that, that was the text message you sent me earlier to make sure it was it just clive doesn't win and that was about it so um so yeah charlie's not here which means if i was actually playing this game i'd have half a chance of winning but as as, as i'm not let's get get things wrong i think i've said hello to everybody and if i haven't well tough um this evening we will be discussing and this is where i usually get wrong because someone's told me something i'm not supposed to do but anyways, history's stupidest invention is that correct are we getting some nods we've got nods yeah. so this evening ladies and gentlemen we're going straight up our own alley and talking about stupid things and i couldn't really think of anything other than marmite but that's just because i don't like it um Yes. Oh, I've got nods of approval here. So there we go. So that's me, Marmite, but I don't get a say. So let's let's get the ball rolling. Now that I'm watching Kit eat on screen, I'm quite tempted to go to him straight away. But I'm not. I'm not in I haven't drunk it that much. So let's let's go across the pond and let's start with Heather. Okay. So I'm going mine on baby cages. Do you live in a high rise and have a baby or young child? Do you wish you could get fresh air, but don't have the time to take them to the park? I've got the thing for you. It's called the baby cage. What is the baby cage, you ask? Well, it's a cage that you hang out your window. Just pop the kid in and let Junior bask in whatever weather's going on outside. Speaking of weather, you can opt for a tiny roof to cover your little angel's head, but that's for the week. Your baby needs to experience the weather to toughen the little tyke up. Better for your child to get pneumonia rather than tuberculosis. Got two children? Just toss both in and let Mother Mother Nature watch them. 
Don't worry about the crying. That's perfectly normal. Just close the window and ignore the young one's screams like your doctor says, and the tot will soon get used to the fresh air. Don't worry about the cage plummeting 20 stories to the ground. It's completely safe. The wire fencing or chicken wire, depending on how much money you can spend, surrounding the cage will most likely not give way, causing your precious little one to plummet to the sidewalk below. After all, babies and small children are known to keep still and not wiggle. Okay, so in all seriousness, <clears throat> the baby cage was thought up by a lady in Spokane, Washington. In the U.S. around 1922 is when the patent was... Um, established. Um, I'm just going to refer to her as Miss Spokane because I really don't want to feel like getting sued even though it's been like a long time. So going off the base of the patent, it looks sturdy. There were bracers that kept it bolted to the outside of the, the building. There were lots of brackets. There was a little roof to keep weather off the baby and then the wire and mesh to keep them enclosed inside the actual cage and keep them from falling out. I can see what they're trying to accomplish. Not a good plan though. Um, I do know that in the 1900s, tuberculosis was very widespread and fresh air and ventilation were thought to be the key to controlling the epidemic. But hanging a baby outside of a window is probably one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. I'm sure there are going to be lots of parents who will disagree with me, but I don't think it's the wisest course of action. Um, safety concerns apparently weren't really a thing in this time period because, well, they're fine. Everything's fine. So both of the, the baby cages were present in both the U.S. and internationally, but they took off, especially in London during the 1930s, due to the Chelsea Baby Club. If you belonged to the club and didn't have a garden, you received a baby cage. And according to the Royal Institute of British Arch Architects in 1935, these, quote, baby balconies, I guess it sounds better than baby cages, were essential to middle-class housing. Um, the usage of the baby cages ended during the Second World War and the bombing or the Battle of Britain when the Luftwaffe started bombing British cities. I can kind of see the point of that. Um, the cages kind of made a small research, uh, resurgence in 1953, but people actually started worrying about safety concerns and the rise of automobile traffic polluting the air so your kid's actually not getting fresh air. So that's my vote for stupidest invention. Thank you. Can I just check? Was that the Chelsea Baby Club? It was. Oh, that explains so much, Holmes. I'm not touching well, that one. I mean, I, I'd never heard of them actually, and so I googled it <laughs> while Heather was speaking, and it does look ridiculous. Um, but I, I, how was it secured? Um, some were bracketed and um, screwed into the building face, so you had lots of of brackets and basically it was tried to make it as part as much of a part of the outside of the building some things they literally just hung from inside the window so it just really depended what the build was and how you secured it some of them looked like they weren't secured very well so it really depended on what you were what type you had and how you actually hung it out. So 
it could be secure, it could not. Yeah, and Kit has just taken the next question right out of my mouth, actually, because it sounds a terrible thing, but actually, in reality, was it safe or did they keep falling off? Are there thousands of um, victims of this? I didn't see anything, but I also didn't delve really deep either. I suppose the question I've got is, you know, is this a case that the patent was actually pretty good, sturdy, you know, but then it sort of gets made by, you know, the Ikea where the, a few of the bolts don't get delivered and you have to make do with whatever's in the bag. True, Matt, but like in, in Victorian times, you could get patent for like, you know, lead cough squeeze that you plugged into the main sort of thing. It's... <laughs> I guess, I mean, maybe everyone was a bit harsh that time with Michael Jackson when he went out, went out on that balcony, but maybe he was just looking for one of these, you know, kid had a bit of a cough. I'll see what's out on the balcony. Could very well be. And I guess Eleanor Roosevelt actually would hang a basket outside of her window and put her child in it. But apparently <clears throat> she didn't really react when the baby would cry and she had to stop doing it because someone threatened to call the authorities on her. The, the, so. the woman who helped draft the Declaration of Human Rights was quite happy to dangle her baby out of a window until it stopped crying. Yep. Nice. To be fair, there's, no, there's nothing in that that stops you from doing it. <laughs> <laughs> no. she thought it through she 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 vetoed that paragraph <laughs> during the review i guess she thought her baby's cries were like so nice everybody should hear them <laughs> let's let's be fair her husband wasn't going to get up and get the kid no <laughs> most definitely not yeah i'm going straight to hell for that one okay i i think i think that is that is a pretty stupid invention, but the, it, but the thing is, it does give us a, lots of iconic pictures of sort of New York in the '30s when you've got sort of you know people's washing hanging out in between buildings, you know people chatting in the in in the on the balconies and the fire escapes, and then just lots of babies dangling out of windows. Would those pictures be as iconic without the babies? Who knows? Cool. I think that that's that is set the bar to a a yeah. A good standard. I think dangling babies is is pretty good. Let's see where we're going to go. Speaking of dangling babies, uh, James, why don't we go to you? <laughs> oh, ouch, ouch. Um, yeah, okay. To be honest, I did look at baby cages as well because it is beyond incredibly stupid. So I'm glad someone's mentioned it. However, I'm going to actually focus on flying cars or one in particular, because flying cars themselves are really stupid inventions for a variety of reasons. But the stupidest of flying cars has to be the AVE Mizar, because it was lethal as hell. Um, so this one was invented by Henry Smolinski. He was a very smart inventor and had a lot of experience in the aerospace, uh, the aeronautical and aerospace industries. But for some reason, he decided to think it'd be a good idea to stick a Cessna and a Ford Pinto together. Now, some of you who are in this chat are probably old enough to remember the Ford Pinto, which could be the stupidest invention in its own right itself, at least car-wise. One tiny touch on the back and it would explode on you. 
So sticking that to a pair of airplane wings, an aero engine, and trying to take off and land with it, given how light it is, is incredibly stupid. So Smolinski, structural engineer, North American aviation, aeronautics with rock and die, rocket dyne throughout the 1960s. So he set up this company, Advanced Vehicle Engineers. Founded in 1971, sole aim, inventing the flying car. And it's just what became the infamous Mazar. They had a simple idea, but they thought it would change travel forever. They thought this car could take off, land, detach itself from the wings, and it probably had a range of about a 1,000 miles, which, considering how small it was, is optimistic, to say the least. So they came up with the prototype. They took the Ford Pinto with the permission of Ford as well and a Cessna Skymaster for their first build. They gutted the Skymaster aircraft, removed its cabin and front engine, and then put the rest of it with a pusher engine onto a Pinto. Now, they converted all its steering systems so it could be used to fly as an aircraft. Steering left or right controlled the direction while pushing in or pulling out on the wheel controlled elevation. They converted all its dash with all the flight instruments you would need, and you'd control the aircraft's rudder using additional pedals at the feet. It would take off using the Skymasters and Pinto's engines, but the engine would be turned off at flight, except for the Skymasters engine, and then landing is the same. Now, in theory, it did fly. However, these incredibly smart engineers hadn't thought about the weight, even though they chose the lightest car possible, with the Pinto they could think of, it was still too heavy for what the Skymaster was designed for. So during a test flight, one of those wing struts completely failed in the air. Luckily, the pilot had enough experience that if he turned his aircraft, it would be ripped right off. So he landed it immediately. Now, despite this failure, the press thought this was a great idea. He was selling it for about 15000 so everyone could get this at the time in America. And his confidence was so much that he decided to take it up himself before any investigations by the FAA and the NTSB had finished. Now, the pilot had refused at this point, so he took it up with his business partner, Blake, flew it, and within moments, it had come all tumbling down as its right wing had folded with the same issue as before, and he tried to turn. Now, witnesses spotted pieces flying off and the aircraft twisting through the air, including the Ford Pinto flying down, bursting in flames on touchdown. Now, people would think this would stop people doing flying cars, or at least think about it a little more than what they have. But for years, the flying car, and especially this one, has been a big example of failure. And I just can't see flying cars being a very good thing and still a very, very stupid invention. But yeah. Okay. The AVE Mazar. <laughs> a flying Ford Pinto. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this one to start with because I, I think... Flying car is a really, really cool idea. I just think they 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 didn't do a particularly good job. 
of it. Mm. You know, let, let, let's 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 face it. You know, the Pinto is not the the sexiest or the most streamlined of things, but the Skymaster was pretty pretty good aircraft. You just they had the stupidity of strapping it to a bomb. So that's more the <laughs> more the designers being <laughs> well, being crap than you know the, well, the idea a being flawed. invention then. <laughs> well, I I I don't know because what is it? Isn't doesn't uh, hasn't Uber started one. a flying car service in Dubai or something like that? It's um, blind carpet. Know. Well, yeah, I was more yeah. focused on the Mizar as the stupid invention rather than flying car, although that has its issues as well. Oh, but, right. yeah. okay. So, so we're going specifically for that. We're not talking flying car concept because if, if that's the case, I might give you a little bit more time to to save yourself. But I I yeah. I, I think the fly, the flying car is. Is, is a great idea, but considering how terrible people drive on the roads, I'm not too sure I want them. You know, yeah, that's, that was my thought process. Okay, so yeah, yeah well, you know, the Pinto's an, an odd choice. I, I think it's, you know, it's poor decisions a, a, along the way, but it's, it's not a bad show. Holmes, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the idea is quite good because wasn't the plan actually you would fly from A to B and then you take the wings off and you've got your car with you to drive around. So I think that's quite a good idea. I mean, but controversially, I don't think this hits the brief. It wasn't an invention. It oh. hadn't finished the invention process. It wasn't, it was in a prototype stage when it crashed. And surely we have to, we're looking at things of the finished article, aren't we? Oh, you see, this is, this is mm. why he's the judge. And the rest of us just show up and slum it from time to time, thinking we're being funny. You know, I'm sort of loosely, in a non-expert way, applying patent criteria or patent, however we're calling it tonight. But you wouldn't get a patent for that flying car at that stage. I'm looking at Kit for support here because he might know a little bit about it. But <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I do. And I think that that's a fair point. It's we do go through iterations with patents quite often. We go through multiple different patents that then end up as one product. You pick the right one. So mistakes are made. Um, I mean, Matt is actually probably the real expert to refer to here because the Luftwaffe uh, tried certain jet fighters at prototype stage, which literally liquefied one of their pilots. Mm -hmm. Gotta love a 163. Okay, I'll, fair enough. Mm. I'll take that. I thought it's because it had been invented that it would be classed as an invention and leave it at that. But I'll defer to the experts here. And oh well. You know, but if we go back to the baby case, that would have been invented and was released to market despite its obvious flaws. But you know, there is a distinction to be made. Okay. You see, and if they've chose if they chose a Mustang instead of a Pinto, everyone would have gone, "That was really cool. It's a real shame it didn't work." But because it was a Pinto, we go, "Yeah, it was crap." Yeah, an exploding bomb. <laughs> Yes, which, to be fair, is the definition of a bomb. But <laughs> uh, maybe I should have just stuck with the Pinto. <laughs> to be to be fair, there's a lot you could have got out of the Pinto, from everything down to weren't they paying people off to say that no, they didn't burst into flames and get well. First degree Ford took a look at it and thought it was cheaper to pay out to people rather than fix the design i think they eventually fixed it. it but we drew it so ah, got, got yeah. it, got that it. was that was only after they got award had massive punitive punitive damages awarded against them yeah it almost that destroyed that company came out in disclosure or discovery 
Yeah. And now, nowadays, all you have to do is put your pin number in enough times and you're always <laughs> free, aren't you? Right. Um, before, we, before we go down that particular rabbit hole, let's, who should we go to next? Um, Chris, he's looking all angelic down there in the middle of my screen. Let's, let's go to him. And of course, he's lost his internet connection. So we won't go to Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um let's let's bring some some you know some seriousness okay. to the matter let's let's go to let's go to clive while chris gets back cl closer to the router so that you know <laughs> you okay this in a minute okay let let me climb up into my pulpit i have to confess that I groaned when I heard the topic for this evening. Altogether, too much science and very limited scope for appalling accents. I went for a bike ride to allow my thoughts to wander as I pedalled along country lanes, past fields and woods and pretty rural villages. What was there I contemplated that was so stupid that it should never have been invented? What invention by its very being has made the world a worse and more miserable place? Ridiculous concepts such as hot tubs and outdoor space heaters came to mind, but then in a flash the worst idea of all time forced its way into my consciousness as a suburban warrior driving furiously in an SUV passed so close to me that I could have wiped my nose on his wing mirrors. I accept that my choice of the internal combustion engine as the most stupid invention in history will not be one that garners initial popularity. The car is... A right, I'm muting you, Clive, and vetoing you on that one. It's the greatest invention known to man. <laughs> Bog off and listen. <laughs> Sorry, Con continue, sir, continue. The car is, of course, an icon in the popular culture of our times. The car supposedly represents freedom, progress, and maybe a quick fumble and possibly a shag in the back seat as the highlight of adolescence memories. Without the internal combustion engine, so much of our culture would not exist. There would be no Grand Theft Auto. Sorry, James. There would be no Jeremy Clarkson. Again, sorry, James. So why do I consider the internal combustion engine so stupid? Well, it's given some people mobility for the past 100 years or so, but it's less, left devastation in its wake. Around 1.3 million people every year die on the roads. Between 20 and 50 million more suffer non-fatal, often life-changing injuries. People in poorer countries are more likely to die in road accidents, children are the most likely to die. But that's not all. Around 5 million people die every year due to air pollution. The burning of fossil fuels accounts for much more of the, more of the, uh, sorry, for much of the contamination of the world's air. Every year, millions of people are dying, but it doesn't stop there. It is impossible to say how many people have died in wars, fought over the oil required to fuel our obsession with the internal combustion engine. It is impossible to determine how many died in wars fueled by oil or indeed in campaigns directed at capturing oil fields to fuel those wars. 
The political stability of entire countries, of entire regions, is affected by the greed for oil to fuel cars, trucks, and motorbikes. Those countries' political, economic, and social development is hampered. The need for oil has also led to oil spills, which have devastated coastal regions, killing off marine and bird life by the barrelful. But possibly worse than all of this, the first of the internal combustion engine has led to the acceleration of climate change and the imperilment of our entire planet. It is an existential threat to our species and to many others. Oh, and the pretty country villages I cycled through are less pretty because of all the cars parked there, to say nothing of the despoilation of our urban streets. As for freedom, car ownership is a means of ingraining social injustice. Rather than the people's wagon of Hitler's imagination, cars have become to preserve the rich, paid for with the lives of the poor. As an example, the London borough in which I live has the lowest car ownership per household in the country. Under 20% of households have access to a car. And yet the air of our borough is just about the lowest quality in the country, as 4x4s from the home counties power through, not stopping to contribute to our local economy, just stopping at traffic lights and in jams to add to the pollution that school children must breathe as they try to learn. And Islington is a small example of a problem that exists the world over. But, I hear you cry, we couldn't live without our cars and lorries. There wouldn't be ambulances, food deliveries, disabled parking. We wouldn't have Formula One. Rock bands couldn't tour. We wouldn't have motorway service stations or be able to drive at speed through France and pay tolls. There wouldn't be Ubers. There wouldn't be wacky races. And how would Noddy get around and pick up big ears without his car? And what would Postman Pat do without his van? What would happen to drive-in movies? How would we get our shopping home? How would we get to our work or get our kids to school? What would Thunderbirds have been without Lady Penelope's pink Rolls Royce and Parker to drive it? Oh, my lady. Tanks wouldn't be able to fight battles. The impasse of the First World War might have continued until today. No, I hear you say. We couldn't have done without cars and the engines that power them. To which I respond with all the politeness that I can muster. Bollocks. Big, hairy bollocks. The world managed before the invention of the internal combustion engine. Okay, horseshit was piling up in New York City to the extent that it was predicted that the streets and avenues of Manhattan would be 30 feet deep in the stuff by 1930. And this didn't happen because the car came along and horses became glue. But the internal combustion engine didn't need to be the solution. We managed before and we will manage after the demise of the internal combustion engine. And that demise is coming soon. The need for an alternative is urgent and great minds, as well as Elon Musk, are working on what those solutions should be. The development of the internal combustion engine only delayed that other development. If it had not been invented or if it had been written off as it should have been as a ridiculous idea, brilliant minds would not have focused on how to make car windows go up and down at the touch of a button, but might instead have found an effective and clean, a responsible method of transportation. History? as Dr. Kitt can tell us, is replete with examples of inventions fading away within a decade or so. Betamax and VHS and then CDs. Now we have streaming. Telex, then facts. 
and now email. The early cars could have become curiosities in museums if mines had been applied to something better than polluting, killing machines. If the mines such as diesel and Benz had looked elsewhere rather than gasoline and thought about the consequences of their ideas, their undoubted genius may well, in fact, almost certainly would have found a better way. But they didn't. And so we have deaths, injuries, poisoned air, floods, storms, parking problems, an existential crisis, as well as Richard Hammond. Well, I think you, I think you were swaying everybody until you went after the First World War and then you lost half the room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to chip in um, before, we, before the judges begin and actually mm. defend Clive, because I think one thing that he's missed there is that the early cars were not combustion engine cars. Uh, the land speed record was for the first couple of years held by electric cars and by steam driven cars. So there were alternatives right at the beginning uh, to the internal combustion engine. I can't defend him on anything outside of cars because obviously the internal combustion engine was around for four decades before that and was used for a whole host of different things. But on a car front, he does have a point. Uh, sorry judges, I will now let you I'm going to throw this over to Holmes. I mean, it's... I, I, I've got a lot of sympathy with a lot of guys' arguments, to be honest, but I think, A, but the bit I struggle with, I'm, I agree with probably about 75% of that, but on the other hand, he's coming at this from a very London-centric cyclist position, which I think... Um, I think he genuinely believes what he says but i think you know i mean for example i think cars have given people a lot of freedom you made that point but then sort of dismissed it but without that most people couldn't go anywhere you know there's not i mean i went to the midlands at the weekend and i had to get from a small village to a town to get the train back and there's no bus on a sunday so i had to get a car or walk so what do i do in that situation but if cars hadn't been around as they weren't around in any great numbers until the 40s, 50s, more likely the 60s, the beaching reforms wouldn't have happened. There would have been a lot more railways around the country. They would have been better and more um, bus services and bus services would have been more frequent and all around the country. The invention of and those buses could have been fueled in other ways, but trains would have been fueled in other ways as they are now. So I don't True, think... But I mean, I get, I, that might, that might would work you, Wouldn't you need work. internal combustion engines for the buses? Not necessarily. No, they can be even today. You get other ways of. There are electric buses now. You could have found. Yeah, other but in the sixties, there would have been internal combustion engines. Well, so you're just moving effect, it from if, cars to buses instead. Not of an alternative would be. <laughs> I, I, I think people outside, you know, the main cities such as London, Birmingham, Manchester, possibly Liverpool, to a certain degree, they're reliant on cars. They need them to get to work because society is, you know, has led us that way. Now that may have been led by the car. The car, the sort of the car owning revolution as well, but I think to dismiss the freedoms that it's opened up for everyone. I mean, Clive, how old were you when you got your first car? Twenty nine or thirty? Yeah, okay. I mean, that's quite late. I mean, I, I've never had one really, but um, so I'm not a massive car fan. But you know, I think it's more. It, it does allow a lot of people a lot of freedom, you know, it allowed people to go out and see castles and state homes and historical things that otherwise they wouldn't have done so because there wouldn't have been a railway station to those or or buses or and I think to try and deprive people of that, you know, and I get they're bad for the environment. Um, I get that. 
Um, but just you know, a lot of people have gained a lot of pleasure out of it over the years. Now, later, later generations may ultimately pay the price, I guess. I found it interesting how lots of other people have jumped in both for and against this. This, I, th I think you, you, you touched a nerve, Clive. So I was just going to say that was all spoken like a true cyclist, but I, I, I thought you did make some, some excellent points as a combustion engine lover and someone who aspirationally likes cars with lots of special effects in them with buttons that do things. <laughs> um, but no, you're right. It, you know, just the, just the number, the number of deaths from them, not, not considering wars, air pollution, you know, just it was one of the, the, the high spots of being trapped for the last year it was, you know, air that you didn't have to chew was quite nice a lot of the time um so you, i think yeah i think you've made some strong points it is the first time i've had someone use islington as a <laughs> as a case study for for good or ill or to be fair for anything really having visited it there the other week so well well done for that i think you get points for for the islington reference. Oh, thank you so um but i yeah i was willing as i did cut you off for, for comedy value, I was considering not letting you come back, but I think you did well. I'm thinking I might have to just go out in my car and burn some fossils just to, to get my equilibrium back after we finish this. But oh, that's the I'm drinking. Better not do that or test me eyesight. Um, no, I think you did really well. I'm 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 liking that. The fact that I don't have too many smart ass things to say at the end of it is sort of sort of proof, I suppose. Um, give me a minute. I'll come back to you. Um, right. <laughs> let's, well, let's try. I th Chris looks like he's sitting next to his router now. So let's, let's see if, if he is, and if it's working. I mean, just checking. You can hear me, right? Yeah, we can hear you. We can even yes. see you. Ooh. <laughs> I'm not that's sure that's a good, a good thing. thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, my, mine is going to counter Clive's a little bit. Um, I'll get to that. Um, Alex challenged me last time to try and shoehorn in the German Navy as having one of the worst inventions in history. However, try as I might, I could never find anything that Germany ever did that was bad in anything. So I've gone after the Royal Navy instead. Um, and they came up with this theory. I think we uh, could come up with a couple of things between us. But... <laughs> there is a list somewhere, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> Not any of the books I've got. Um... <laughs> So um, the Royal Navy had this great idea that um, they would develop a submarine that could travel at the speed of the, uh, um, of the cruisers and the battleships of about 21 knots. And the idea was that they would sail forward, they would sail in front of the battleships. And when they encountered the German Navy, the submarines would dive and move behind the Germans. And then when the Germans would necessarily turn around and flee in front of superior British gunnery, they would be ambushed from behind by these submarines. So they developed the uh, K-boat, which is kind of a, a destroyer submarine hybrid. Um, and um, they decided that the only thing that um, you could get to power, it was not an internal combustion engine, but a steam engine, because it was the only thing that could get them up to 21 knots. Uh, this, this idea found support from uh, such naval heavyweights as uh, Admiral Jellicoe and Beatty and um, Roger Keyes, who was the inspector of submarines. But they decided before they developed this from the prototypes that they test the prototypes, uh, which they did. And they found that the K-boat one was a bit too big. So they went with the J-boat instead. But they found that was too slow by two knots. So they went back to K-boats. Um, so 
they ordered 17 of them, £334,000 each. Admiral um, Jackie Fisher, who was first Sea Lord twice, said this, the most fatal error imaginable would be to put a steam engine in a submarine. And this is why. There are many, many problems with the K-boat. They are, as I said, they're 339 feet long with a very low freeboard, uh, which makes them very awkward to handle, surfaced and submerged, so you can't really do much with them. Um, The size and her speed gave her the speed of a destroyer, but it meant that she had the turning circle of a battle cruiser, so she's got these big, huge loops, which makes them not very manoeuvrable at all. Um, The steam, having steam, and this is the big problem with a steam engine, is they require the submarine to have a lot of holes in it for air intakes, exhausts, condensers, um, the funnels, um, which with a submarine, the last thing you want it to do is have lots of holes in it because water does have a tendency to find its way into things and cause them to sink. A German, a German U-boat could crash dive uh, in, in an emergency in 30 seconds. A K-boat could crash dive in five minutes. Half an hour is more preferable because they've got a lot to do, um, which obviously is uh, not great when you're in trouble. The uh, Royal Navy argued she doesn't need to crash dive. She's got speed, 23, 22 knots. She doesn't, she'll get away from any kind of danger that she gets into, which is basically a way of spinning it, saying that her dive time's shit. It's like me saying I haven't had a bad date since 2004. Um, moving on, the, uh, when you do crash dive a, K- a K-boat, you've got to uh, put all the boilers out. You've got to move the batteries around. There's a complicated, which usually reads easily broken hydraulic system which brings the funnels down and closes all the hatches up and the condenser feeds etc um there are other problems include that in bad weather the sea could enter through the funnels and put the boilers out and flood the boiler rooms not what you want um what else was that the uh the deck mounted swivel torpedo tubes a fantastic idea get damaged in rough weather so they had to take them off my favorite one is that um her length meant that she couldn't dive properly because her crush depth was 200 feet below surface, or she was 337 feet long. So if she went in at the wrong angle, um, her ass was still sticking out above the water, somewhere between 59 and 170 feet, depending on what angle they go in. And um, inside, they had eight internal um, bulkhead doors. So if they had a a hole breach, you'd slam the door shut, and that would only flood that compartment. However, they were only tested and worked up to 70 feet underwater. So if they were below 70 feet and they had a hole breach, the whole ship would just cease to exist. So these are just the design flaws going in. How, how, surely they didn't have that much of a disastrous career. <laughs> Buckle up, here we go. Uh, the K3 um, uncontrollably dived in December 1916 with the future King George VI on board. It took them 20 minutes to get it out of, um, from 100 feet, 150 feet below surface. The following month, her boiler room filled with water and she almost sank then. The K-13 had a horrific accident in January 1917, and it, as it was found that there was a possible leak in the boiler room. So they set up a practice dive, sealed off the boiler room, only to find the water was pissing in through the engine room, uh, which caused the ship to sink. The captain closed all the bulkheads and blew the, blew the tanks, didn't stop it, hurtled down to the bottom of the ocean, bottom of the Firth, sorry, um, and it wasn't rescued till 10 o'clock the following afternoon, following evening, which killed 32 people, including uh, the captain of K-14, who happened to be on board, who um, Captain Francis Godhart, who had received the cross of uh, St. George from the Tsar of Russia himself personally, 
for sinking the German cruiser Prince Adalbert. There you go, shoot hoard in the German Navy. Um, K5 signaled that she was going to dive and was never seen again. K16 and 12 um, sank and got stuck on the bottom, but after a few hours managed to get back up. K3 had other another uncontrollable descent and below her crushed death, but managed to finally come to the surface. 15 would later sink at her moorings because as the hydraulic oil um, cooled in the engine room, it changed all the air pressure and popped all the hatches open and she just filled with water and sank. Um, and then we move on to, this isn't necessarily a design flaw, but uh, this is it, is it is quite funny if all these people hadn't died. It's the uh, Battle of May Island, which is the K-boat's least fam- most famous um, battle. Uh, the Royal Navy decided to test them as a battle crew, uh, as a battle screen. Uh, so they were going out in two echelons with the Navy, with the battleships and battle cruisers coming up behind. Um, with K3, 4, 5, um, 3, 4, 6, and 7 with HMS Fearless, 11, 12, 14, 17, and 22 with HMS Ethereal. Okay, so they all leave port. That's all going well. Um, at seven o'clock in the evening, a mist falls over the sea and they see two lights. So the first echelon moves to avoid them. K-14's hul- um, helm gets stuck over. She goes fl- flying off in the wrong directions for six, six minutes. K-22 loses sight of everyone, goes veering off, goes straight into the side of K-14, nearly cuts her in half, and both ships start sinking. So they signal the ethereal to come back and get them, which she does. Um, however, before they get there, um, the battle cruisers go through the line, and HMS Inflexible strikes and cuts H- um, K-22 in half, knocks her nose off 90 degrees. The ethereal goes hurtling backwards, signaling the battle cruisers that, that, that they're coming. The battle cruisers can't um, decipher the signal, almost cut um, ethereal and her um, K boats in half. They then, they, their K boats, um, they manage to get to the wrecks just in time for, for HMS Fearless's lot to come hurtling in, and all the K boats bundle into each other. Um, Fearless rams K 17, damaging the bow and sinking her um, eight minutes. Eight minutes later, the sirens are sounded by the fearless and um, to try and warn everyone that they're coming. K4 stops. K3 didn't, narrowly misses K4. K6 rams and rams the broadside of K4 and nearly, nearly cuts her in half, and then she sank. And then, just to make things worse, while everyone's in the water, the battleships come through and kill a load of the survivors. Killing a, so in 75 minutes, the K-boats are responsible for 105 deaths, two submarine losses, and three heavily damaged. They are possibly the worst idea for a submarine ever. That was very entertaining. I don't think it passes Holmes' criteria, no, <laughs> though, because the submarine is actually a pretty good idea. And if I'm quite right, modern submarines run on steam. Granted, they're... The, the K-boat wasn't just a submarine. It was a destroyer submarine. It was a, um, it was a hybrid. But the submarine itself... Uh, you see, I... I, I agree with you. The K-boat was crap. And I now refer to the esteemed Ian Ballantyne, who wrote in his book, The Deadly Trade, uh, where the K-class boats were an example of the envelope being pushed so hard, design, aspiration, outpaced, operational reality, and all practical wisdom. So, yes, you're right. It was crap. But it's kind of, you know, like the flying car thing. It it was an idea that was trying to do something that didn't quite work. The fact it was monumentally stupid and that you had to put the funnels down before you could submerge was, was pretty crap. But I don't think it crosses the bar as an invention in and of itself. Holmes, what do you reckon? 
I, I don't know. And I, I missed bits of that because my internet went a little bit. But um, presumably, was it? It was finished though. All, all the all the mishaps you mentioned, Chris, were they on sort of test runs, or were they, was it ever deployed in anger? Um, yeah, they did. That was that was them being. They were deployed. Uh, Seventeen of them were built. Um, one of them did engage a U-boat once, but the torpedo didn't explode. Um, but no, they weren't actually because the German Navy had decided not to fight the uh, British anymore because um, past Jutland, they never actually got to fight the fleet. But they were they were deployed in 1917 and 18, and they were still in service into the early 20s. So, so I think Matt, they passed the sort of lo- uh, loose invention test. We, now we're just determining whether it's the stupidest or not, really. Mm. Which, I mean. Bits of it seem very stupid from when he started off. Although it was interesting that the captain of, was it, K-13, when he had a leak in his boiler room and he thought the best thing to test that was to take a dive, which seems a slightly <laughs> odd course of action. Admittedly, I'm not a submariner and it's been many years since I had the thoughts of a submariner, but that seems odd to me. Yeah, it did, it did me as well. It's like, surely if you've got a hole, there's a better way to find that. <laughs> and, then, then you went, you, and then you went through a series of, Technical, what looked to be technical or design faults with K five and K sixteen and K fifteen, yeah, and then you mentioned a, a sort of expedition that had two battleships in it. One was fear, and when you when you were going through the expedition, that just seemed to me, and I might have been hearing it wrong, but that seemed to be more down just to the incompetence of everyone involved rather than the design yeah. of these K boats. Um, yeah. Uh, Basically, I left it in because it's, it's, it's such a funny story. Um, and it sort of broke up the te- techno crap, crap about where all the holes were and crash diving. And I thought, you know, end, end with a laugh. Exactly. And, and so, if you can't do that with 125 deaths and the loss of two submarines, <laughs> what, what can you do? <laughs> and a really badly damaged cruiser. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I, I quite like that one. I think, I think it ticks the boxes. Oh, we, we we can we can debate that later. Because ah. I I've actually, actually no, Chris has got one line more of notes than James, so I suppose that that does raise the bar slightly. <laughs> right, um, I think we'll do another one before we take a halftime refill. Who should we go for for that? And just because Kit's popped up from his lying down, we're not going to go to him. Um, Zach, <laughs> would you like to regale us with your stupidest invention from history? Absolutely. <clears throat> well, the world has given us some absurd things that we could frankly live without. For example, headlight eyelashes on cars, bottled water and Donald Trump. When it comes to absurd adventures, we really are spoilt for choice. I was tempted to go for my washing machine, not washing machines generally, but specifically the ones that decide to smell like they're going to burn your house down every time you switch them on. Notice that's switch them on and not turn them on, no dirty jokes, please. For those who spend inordinate amounts of time on the lavatory and need to entertain themselves, you can buy something called the potty putter. This contraption comes complete with golf clubs, green and golf ball, so that you can get in that essential practice on hole number four whilst attending to your number ones and twos. Arguably more useful, however, is the wine rack booze bra, a piece of sportswear which, yes, you guessed it, improves the size of the wearer's bust by filling it with three quarters of a litre of your preferred poison, offering a whole new meaning to the phrase being off your tits. The fact remains, however, that these inventions are 
on the market, meaning that someone somewhere is buying them. In fact, I'm pretty sure half the pub has just dived online to check Amazon's stock of the booze bra. So they probably don't qualify as the stupidest invention in history. In my quest to enlighten the world about that stupidest invention of all time, I have therefore decided tonight, in time-honoured British tradition, to annoy the French. I put it to you that the dumbest invention of all time was the guillotine. The concept of a machine being used to take someone's head off wasn't exactly new when the guillotine emerged on the scene. I hate to rain on the parade of any French listeners who think that they were first to the party, but the Scots had something similar in 1564. So basically the French were just getting with the times when they developed their variation in 1792. The French variant was originally called Louisette or Louison after its actual inventor, French surgeon, Alexandre Louis. It was later renamed after the man who came up with the principle that underpinned its use, French physician and Freemason, Joseph Guillotin. Contrary to popular belief, he was not subsequently executed by it. And if anybody's wondering why I'm making these ham-fisted attempts at French accents, well, let's be honest, it's past time that somebody tried to muscle in on Clive's Cockney act. The idea should have been, behind the guillotine, should have been a, a nice one. Basically, after the 1789 French Revolution, it was thought that execution by decapitation shouldn't just be the preserve of the aristocracy. And given the ideals of the Enlightenment, a method should exist that gave everyone a swift death. Queen, blah, blah, blah. Quick, clean, clinical, largely painless. These were all things that philosophers thought commended the guillotine as a more humane method of punishing society's miscreants. Yet here we get to the problem of why this is a stupid invention. For one thing, the painless element is open to question. The point of the machine was to kill people. By definition, when you kill someone, they end up dead, which means it's quite difficult to get any feedback from them on how painful they consider the process to be on a scale from zero to 10. Yet the problems run deeper than that. The guillotine was a method of capital punishment, yet to some extent, they were rather reinventing the wheel. Not only did the machine exist already in some format, but they were, there were already plenty of tried and tested methods of making someone die. Sure, execution with the act could end up being pretty botched and hanging was a slow process. But whilst I'm no expert on shooting people in the head, I would rather have thought that that could have had just an effective means of killing someone as, as anything else, even in the age of the flintlock pistol. Then we come to the philosophical principles. The guillotine was meant to be a more humane method of punishment. Certainly there was a conversation starting to take place across society, which ultimately resulted in the wider use of incarceration. The systematic use of incarceration as a punishment would only come well into the 19th century, but it was not unknown. The British army, for example, had an established tradition of the use of solitary confinement. They actually termed it the black hole after the black hole of Calcutta. So essentially there were alternatives, more humane modes of punishment that could have been drawn upon rather than just slicing off someone's head. And the other issue with this supposedly humane method of punishment of strapping someone to a table, dangling their head over a basket and letting gravity do the job for you by severing it is the way in which it was done publicly. Sure, public executions were the norm during this period. The last public execution using the guillotine in France took place in June 1939. The British, by contrast, 
came to the realization that public execution was barbaric in 1868. But the fact remains that inventing a machine to make chopping off someone's head in front of a crowd that bit swifter is a bit like putting a plaster over the severed neck in the hope that it would stop the bleeding. It completely misses the much more fundamental problem. So in the guillotine, the French not only managed to invent something that already been, had been invented, but did so with a motive which completely failed to understand the wider problem that they were trying to solve in the first place. In essence, therefore, it failed on both counts and surely classes as one of history's stupidest inventions. There's clapping going on. I think that was for the accents more than the um, debate. They, they were impressive, weren't they? I, I, I could tell. Clive looks worried. French, but yeah. Yeah. It, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, they they weren't that good, mate. I'm sorry. You need, you need to... Uh, what? You, yes, you need to keep, keep practicing. Because, of course, Clive's worked up to peak Cockney, so he's doing well. So I think you, the next few down the pubs, you're going to have to try a bit harder. I think Matt, you'll have to visit London sometime to find out what real Cockney is like. Yeah, I had too too many years living in Croydon. All I get is ah, London. None of this other business. Um, I'm going to start on this one because I have an issue with your concept, sir. Because it sounds like you have a problem with capital punishment per se, as opposed to the sort of action of it. Because you did no. sort of mention that maybe shooting somebody in the head was better. But we've all seen Sharp. That doesn't work particularly well. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, 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 you kind of lost me there because you sort of went off in sort of other ways of killing people, but then locking them up in prisons probably better. But then you have prison overpopulations and, and, and things like that where things get better. Not that I'm saying it's good to get rid of a lot of people in prison. That would be wrong. Let's look at the system that puts them there. So is it the guillotine itself? Or is it capital punishment that you have a problem with? It's the motive behind the guillotine. So the idea is that by using the guillotine, you're somehow making the, the whole process of punishing somebody more humane. Well, there are other ways that you could have done that rather than chopping their head off in front of a crowd and making a big spectacle of it. And so rather than focusing on the actual problem, which is the nature of the punishment itself, they're kind of skirting around the edges by just making that process a little bit swifter. That, that's my issue with it, that you're not actually solving anything with the guillotine, although it is a swifter process and less botched. Actually, if your focus is on humanity, which is the motivation behind this, this was all about age of enlightenment ideals, about a more humane mode of punishment. Actually, it didn't achieve a great deal in that kind of progression towards more humane methods and so kind of failed on that score. I'm glad I chose you as the last person to go to before we break for more booze, because I think we do need need some more after that. Because, you know, we've got to remember, this is pre-Netflix days. They've got to do something. And, you know, the problem with the guillotine is it was too quick. So, you know, that meant more people were going through it, as opposed to the good old days when, you know, it took a while to get, you know, Mary Queen of Scots head off it or something like that. I mean, you um, want to make a spectacle of it, right? Well, I think, you know, was it seven, seven swipes was probably a bit too much. Um, not sold, personally. Um, is, it, but, is it worth mentioning that the Nazis brought um, the guillotine back in yep. Germany? Um, 
you know, because the state method of execution in Prussia um, was beheading by axe, and they realised they were going to be executing quite a lot more people. So actually, just for efficiency's sake, the Nazis brought back uh, the guillotine. And that guillotine was different, though. Theirs was hand-operated rather than a falling blade. What, like ratcheting it down, sort of? No, you, you it, with the precision. We're we're obsessing Beth. Um, so I'm gonna, yes, we, we should we should move swiftly on. And let's be honest, I'm the most important person in this room tonight. So <laughs> can we stop with all the head chopping off, please? <laughs> I I still think that's Marin, but we'll 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 move swiftly on from that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Holmes. Yeah, I, I agreed with you. I, I didn't really hear anyone making a case for the stupidest invention. I just heard someone banging on about capital punishment, which, you know, it's a, it's a worthy argument. Don't get me wrong, but it's uh, probably not what we're here for tonight, is it? I mean, if you think of like great fictional inventors like, I don't know, Graticus Potts or what's his name, Professor Brainstorm, none of them toyed around with capital punishments or methods of killing people, did they, really? <laughs> I mean, I just go back to what I said to Bernie, that essentially the reason they bring in the guillotine is to try and make this process better, but they're not actually achieving anything. You know, you're still killing somebody and you're still killing somebody in front of a crowd. So if you use an axe or you use a guillotine, whether it takes three seconds for the blade to drop or whether it takes three strokes of an axe, is it really that much more humane? I would argue not probably, probably and, not but neither of this is an in, invention which is yeah. what we're supposed to be judging isn't it so, i also so, like the thing that you know you, you at one point you highlighted the british army for being much more humane because they put people in solitary confinement but roughly around the same time they were tying indians to the front of cannons and then setting fire and then you know lighting there's the no actual well, evidence so. of that being done yeah speaking as a crime and punishment nerd there's no actual evidence that they did that yes no i'm not saying that the british army were perfect because obviously they executed people i'm very conscious here that Beth looks like she's about to scream. Um, my, my point is they invent the guillotine for a purpose that is essentially flawed. That, that's my argument. And so therefore it's dumb because it, they don't actually achieve what they're trying to when they invent it. So I, I, reckon, I, I reckon if you keep this back in about six months time, we'll do like the worst decisions by a state and you can run this again and you may win. I think if you'd gone for capital punishment, as a concept being a stupid idea, that would have had some traction, much like, you know, submarines and flying cars. You know, just bad applications of not terribly bad ideas. But there we go. 
I'm I'm just seeing how long much further we can keep this going because I'm quite enjoying watching Beth freak out. Um, but as this is a podcast, no one else can enjoy my masochistic fun. Um, we will thank you very much for that, Zach. That was a noble effort. Um, confused, yet noble. Um, but what we shall do is we shall allow Beth to get some more wine. Um, and yeah, then we'll come back and hopefully someone will raise, lower the tone, whatever happens. Super. Right. See you in a minute. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Right. And we're back. I should say that a little bit more happier. But after the conversation we've just had, you'll be pleased to know that we're back on form. We have got recharged glasses. The sawdust has been replenished upon the floor. And Beth is on the cider. So this could get messy. But what already we should... messy. It's already messy. Yeah. Uh, there we Unlike Aston right. Villa, it could get messy. this is it see see what a hundred million pounds does to birmingham um (laughs) right um who should we go to next uh oh i haven't i haven't ticked chris off my list we definitely don't want that again so let's go with lucky oh me yeah you you go Good, yeah, mine's shit mine's fucking shit it's really bollocks and pointless and stupid Saloon doors. What cunt thought this was a good idea? <laughs> um, fucking what was what seriously? What's the point? I mean, you, what's the function of these things? The, the function, no, hang on, let's go through my criteria first of all for what I thought was a stupid invention. Um, because this is for wankers, really. Uh, okay, does it perform the most basic elements of its intended function? Well, let's think about what the job of a door is. I mean, the, the job of a door, I mean, a doorway is to pass through a wall. Okay, fine. But the function of a door is to seal that aperture. No. Okay, no, this doesn't do that. It's, it's supposed to provide, I don't know, look this up, providing visual and sonic privacy. Does it provide visual privacy? Uh, maybe from Warwick Davis. Um, but not a, a regular he- height human. Um, sonic privacy? No. Uh, sound just goes through there. Protection from the elements? Fuck off. It's not going to keep a draft out. No, t- even. Um, denying access to people who are not supposed to pass through that wall? What were those flappy fucking hingy things? No. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, I'm getting banter in the chat as well i'm being asked if i can see a cock no not at the moment stand up a little bit um don't ask kit to do that please so (laughs) so no a saloon door does not even perform the most basic elements of its intended function are there any accidental benefits this is another one of my criteria no there's no fucking accident the best thing you can say is that access is easy 
And for drunk people, that's quite a good thing, uh, I suppose. Um, ventilation is, is provided, I guess. Yeah, that's fine. But you know what does things better than saloon doors at uh, ensuring easy access and allowing ventilation? Absolutely fucking nothing. Not having nothing there does a better job than saloon doors at providing ventilation and easy access. Okay? So this, these things objectively do their job less well than fuck all. All right? <laughs> this is, <laughs> they're, they're worse than useless. They're, they're obstructive and unhelpful and shit. Okay? But not only that, an additional criteria I chucked in, besides not doing their basic job and no accidental benefits, is, is there a fair to, at least a fair to medium chance of getting hurt by these things? And for this, I just, I'm going to refer people to a, a YouTube video called Kid Gets Hit by Saloon Door compilation, in which basically um, the child's mother sort of steps through this, I don't know, experimenting with a saloon door, and then lets the thing smack their child straight in the face. Um, these things are shit, they're useless, they're a fucking menace. I don't know who thought they were a good idea, but they're obviously shite. They're the stupidest invention in the whole history of the world. There we go. No, I went and watched the video. It's genius. <laughs> you can't win because the kid getting <laughs> the impact on the kid's head is just a stomach. Which is called again? What's it called again? There's there's several kid, compilations kid of it, including door. like some some where they set it to music, and and um, so one of them, for example, is um, our Queen. Okay, hang on, hang hitting on. the child's head repeatedly. Um, uh, they they do they set one to Phil Collins in the air tonight. The the drum bit of it. So <laughs> right. This is not this this I am pretty I'm pretty I'm pretty sure Holmes won't like this, but I am just here we go. <laughs> yeah, this is bad radio, of course. So but. that's th there's 30 more seconds of stuff like that, but we won't we won't go we won't go to that. So. That could easily be one of my two boys. <laughs> 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 but if they hadn't been invented, we wouldn't have that video. Which, to be fair, was my whole argument. So, but I'm, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go to the the sensible one in the room. I like how Lockie applied his normal judge hat sort of stuff to that. But we'll come back to that. Holmes, what do you reckon? I, I, that that was a really persuasive argument. I mean, I, I googled it while you were speaking, and it is to allow for ventilation. Also, it's a it's basically when they were had them first in the Wild West, they wanted to obscure a little bit of what was going on in the saloon, but they couldn't use proper doors because they needed the ventilation. So, it, and also when they're used in, I don't know, modern settings, they open both ways. So if you're a waiter or a waitress, you can go through them without both hands. So I see the logic in that, but I sort of agree the world wasn't really crying out for them and they're not that effective. What I really like most maybe, of all, Maybe some of those wanky bead curtains would have done the, the job better. Possibly. Oh, oh, they're worse. Okay. They're worse. <laughs> they're I mean, they're I mean, also I mean, shit. 
what I do like, and what is probably a first, is that you call the inventor of the saloon door you know, a, a cunt live on air on any media probably that's ever been invented, which that's got to be worthy of consideration in itself, hasn't it? I, I just wrote oh, down top swearing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 have, I have an issue with this because some of the most iconic scenes in cinema involve saloon doors. With whether it's John Wayne walking through looking badass, or now that kid getting hit in the face, which is my new favorite thing, um, I I get your argument. It was well reasoned. The swearing, I'm giving you points for that. So yeah, well done. But uh, as a, as a fan of the western, yes, they are pointless. Are they the stupidest? Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I think that kid thinks I, I, they're pretty stupid now. I, I I reckon you could have still had some pretty iconic Western scenes with one of those wanky bead curtains. No, they keep getting caught in their buckles and things like that, wouldn't they? You know, you know, okay, sheriff's badge. You, you, I suppose you have a point because saloon doors would ruin the final scene of the searchers if you know John Wayne standing there in the doorway on his own and the, and the doors go bing. That would be crap. Um, or the beads coming back down as well and obscuring them. Um, just but, nothing. Just nothing. You're, you're looking at a badass in a doorway. You don't give a fuck about the saloon doors. Nobody cares about those fucking flappy bits of wood. Just the badass is what you're focusing on. But badass does look good going through the saloon doors and going and everybody going quiet and what you're drinking, stranger. See? Yeah. Wine with cider to follow if Beth's a stranger. Can you? That's actually a good Western thought. Someone's got to do that. The sort of the stranger in the dark outfit with the two six shooters walks in, and the barman goes, "What you have? Oh, gin and tonic, please." <laughs> that completely changes that movie slightly. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so, Lockie Tick will not win. Okay. Cool. Um, <laughs> I've still, got, I've still got him down in front of Zach, if that helps. <laughs> I can't get that kid out of my head. It's just still... <laughs> I'm going to have to put the sort of link to that in the description for this when this goes out live. Yeah, before Lockie goes on, click the YouTube link. No, that'll get us some subscribers. Um Right. Uh, Kit, are you hiding or have you sorted off? Because I, I want to try to keep everybody going for a while because Beth may not be with us. I want to see if she actually survives to how long I can string this out. Kit's not there, so we're going to go to Merrin. Lucky me. Okay. You, yes. Thinking back, I'm glad Clive mentioned horse shit. Lucky. What a potty mouth you've had tonight. And while Holmes made an aside about Caractacus Pots, Zach, zut alors, monsieur, c'est lui qui a serré l'écran sur la guillotine, il a mentionné la plus grande, oh merde, du tout. Plus, Zach, you also very nearly nominated a potty putter. There's a theme that's been developing here tonight. I'd like to take this back to basics and talk about something that is a problem for us all in life. There are a hundred euphemisms for it. Doo-doo, droppings, dung, excrement, excreta, curling a pipe, 
cooking a butt burrito. <laughs> this is getting a bit shit, Mary. <laughs> Dumping a stump. <laughs> the ast. <laughs> Right, launching a butt shuttle, logging it in, busting <laughs> <laughs> a grumpy, crafting a fudge pop. But if we can forego the fluttering of flies focusing on fellatio, then I think we could really focus on feces. Stupid inventions don't have to be complex to be cacotopian. In fact, let's talk briefly about some of the greatest poos in history, and then we will build up like a coffee-fueled rumble in the eternal bottom bowel jungle to the most stupid invention of all time. It's recent, but decent. Let's do a quick poo overview of historical number twos. The oldest poo, the Lloyd's Bank coprolite, is a large paleofeces or desiccated human dung specimen recovered by archaeologists from York Archaeological Trust who were excavating underneath Jorvik. It was the largest example of fossilised human faeces ever found, and it measured 20 centimetres long and 5 centimetres wide. The most infamous poo, hard to tell, could have been the great stink of 1858 when the river ran so foul of excrement, the Houses of Parliament had to close. The most dangerous poo, possibly the logs chopped by archers hanging their butt cheeks over the battlements of, of medieval castles. The most artistic poo could have been giant blown up turds we saw in the mid 80s, although Picasso is said to have used his daughter's feces to paint an apple on canvas. And in 1961, Piero Manzoni wanted to ridicule the sh- nature of shitty art, and he decided to fill 90 tin cans with 30 grams of his own poop. Tin number 51 sold for over £100,000. No shit. Poo is part of science, history, nature and culture. Excrement is fascinating and generally disgusting to us. Did you know, for example, that the Indo-European root poo is the denomination from which stem the words putrid and putrefying. I know, let's invent something stupid to handle this shitty problem. But before we even do that, let's establish what poo is and why we might need to deal with it. Poo is a bodily waste that's passed through the gastrointestinal tract and it's always been made up of water, microorganisms, undigestible food matter, and fats and cholesterol, as well as some other odd bits and pieces. Black, pale, white or yellow stool can be a problem, allegedly. But basically, the reason why stool is brown is because of our normal production of bile. And although the aroma of our astronauts is not officially a factor in the Bristol scale, it is perfectly normal for poop to have an unpleasant odour. Super purr, trooper purr, did you know your poo was this interesting? This fecund filibustering finally leads us to the most stupid invention of all time. Not the sonic Luro folder, not the squidgy butt plug holder, but the poo in the loo poopery, pre-poop spritzes, patented squatty potty unicorn gold toilet spray. These little bottles of joy are an alcohol and oil mix that you spray directly into the toilet bowl prior to you doing a number two. You drop the log, the log plops into the bog, and it cuts the surface of the spritzed solution, which closes again, allegedly trapping the smells underwater. 
It's an aromatic, aromatic deodorizer that delivers botanical freshness when added directly to the toilet bowl. They say it's environmentally friendly, but come on, is it really necessary? Is there anything quite as dumb as perfume from the plums from your bum? In short, most of the smell comes from bacteria in your colon that help break down your digested food. It's natural. If you're eating well, your poo does not smell. It's true that any time you get inflammation in the gut, it can alter the balance of your bacteria. You might have smellier than usual poos after you eat some foods. Steak, for example, because beet protein is rich in the amino acid methionine, which can create stinky sulfur kind of compounds. See also stout, kebabs, Heineken, Jägermeister, not necessarily in that order. The physical mass of excrement can be half microbial cells and volatiles that are small and light enough to fly out of their source and into the air. Poo is horrendous, we know this, but different poo smells for different reasons. Horses, for example. Horses digest their plant foods quickly and only partly so part of their poo is relatively odorless fiber. Bird excrement is distinctive and pungent because it combines the smell of excrement and nitrogen disposal. For some reason, pig gut and its microbiome are prolific of fecal smelling scattle, which contributes to the special pigginess of pork. But human poo is normal. Human poo is not to blame. And if your poo really does smell, then you should not feel ashamed. Yes, poo is still taboo. But when it comes to number, number twos, the number one stupid invention in history has to be the poo-pourri. That deserves some, some clapping there, Marin. That was, <laughs> that was an, an impressive amount of poo. There we go. That's um, oh, shit. <laughs> I was trying not to do it twice. Um, I think I'm 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 going to I'm going to defer to Holmes to start on this one. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a tricky one, and I think I've seen the adverts for it. But what I was, I'm just rereading my notes. So that the, the fossilized shit that they found in York. Did I write that it's twenty inches by twenty inches long and five inches wide? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, it's the, it's the largest ever example of fossilised human faeces. Probably in, wouldn't have smelled at the time. In, inches or centimetres? 20 centimetres long, five centimetres wide. Ah, there we go. Because, you know, if it's five inches wide, that person had some problems. <laughs> I was wondering, but I mean, I'm, Lockie, did you have, I'm guessing you had ancestors in, in ninth century York, didn't you? <laughs> I don't think so. Actually, I think um, Ireland and Wales uh, are the both of mine. So it's a load of, load of old shite in uh, Ireland, possibly. Maybe uh, Dorman can find some of my uh, family's previous efforts. But um, as to the actual product itself, does it? I mean, obviously, my shit's always smell of roses and freshly cut grass, so I'm not caused to try it. But does it actually work? Does it? Yes, it, yes, it does. In, in theory, what happens is you spray this oil. Um, alcohol-based, it's an alcohol-based oil mix on top of the water that's sitting in the system. And then when the poo drops through, it gets enveloped in it. And then the oil reforms on the surface and stops the odour coming up into the atmosphere. But it's slightly, I mean, surely, I mean, one doesn't want to get too graphic here, but you wouldn't use it in your own house. But then if you used it when you're visiting someone else's, it'd be a bigger... Bit of, bit of a giveaway that your shit stinks. You, you buy it for your own house and you it's little spritzer and you carry it around in your satchel or bag or backpack or whatever. And if you if 
on, on, on a semi-serious note, if you know that you've had problems with your bowels, you've got a bacteria in, you know, a gut problem, and you are um, embarrassed by the idea you need to go to the loo, it's not a bad idea, but it really shouldn't be because you should be addressing the fact your poo smells anyway. I just think it's just randomly stupid invention. I mean, I, ironically, Kit missed all this because he was going for a massive shit by the looks of things, but there we go. <laughs> My notes are just poo, more poo. She's mentioned poo again. Canned poo, which to be fair, started exploding a few years ago because someone did buy a few tins of that artist's poo, but the methane release and it caused the tins to explode. Um, So, not a good investment, that one. Um, It's stupid, but it does serve a purpose. In our vain, in our vain, glorious world, where we think our 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 our, our poos don't stink, um, we're, we're not all like Holmes and having r- rosy feces. Um, <laughs> I I think you're my favourite presentation of the evening so far. Um, no, actually, no, that's still Lockie. You're my second favourite because the kid getting smacked in. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to discuss Cleveland steamers at all at this point? Yeah, and you didn't bring in Cleveland steamers, um, so you lose points for that. Um, <laughs> it only just, costs eight twenty-four. You know, you can get a bottle, and on Prime you can get it delivered tomorrow. So nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted. I, I am. Oh, sh- oh my God! You can, you can actually subscribe and get it every three months. <laughs> Oh, well, that's me sorted for Christmas. <laughs> Hello, darling. I bought, I bought you this. It's a poo, poo sen- sensitizer thingy that you now get every three months. So there you go. Um, well, I'm glad I'm not on Clive's Christmas list. Uh, there we go. Secret Marin- Santa. Secret Santa. Yeah, um, <laughs> Secret Santa, yeah. Marin, thank you. That was shit. Um <laughs> right. Um speak speaking of uh bowel movements, Kit, how was it? Well, I'm pretty sure I've set the new record, so um that's all good. So we we've broken 20 centimeters by five then. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the new Olympic uh world and uh, personal <laughs> best. Super. Which is impressive being in, in Mexico as well, because you would have thought it wouldn't have had the consistency. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, do you want to raise or lower the tone at your convenience? Um, well, my convenience, uh, indeed. Um, I'm going to raise the tone a little bit, I think. So I'll sit up for this. So, it's the height of the Cold War. The US Army is looking for ways to defeat the deadly peril of communism. But alas, its most potent weapon, the nuclear arsenal, can only be used strategically. Or can it? For my nomination, I am choosing the M28 Davy Crockett nuclear bazooka. Now, before we get going, nuclear weapons have to be up there as one of the world's dumbest inventions. Having a bomb that is so destructive you can't use it without massive civilian casualties, so destructive it's only being used in anger twice in history, is stupid. 
Warfare, it turns out, is the one sphere of human accomplishment we've got so good at, we've had to stop. And it doesn't get dumber than what was effectively a nuclear Nerf gun. The Davy Crockett was the brainchild of General John Henricks and entered service in the US Army in 1958, with 2,100 of the things deployed in Korea, Germany, and the US. Big, clunky, and awkward, this small artillery piece, similar to a mortar detachment, was classed as a recoilless gun. Except this recoilless gun had a nuclear warhead shoved down its pipe and weighed 50 kilograms. A later version, the M29, weighed 150 kilograms and required a crew of five to operate. It used a bayonet mount with a propellant kick-starting everything before punting out the atomic projectile using a blast of little more than compressed air. And let's talk about this mini nuke. The bomb itself weighed about 36 kilograms and when detonated would probably have resulted in a blast equivalent to about 20 tons of TNT. I say probably because it was only tested once and even then they didn't use a Davy Crockett to fire it. Because here's the thing, the amount of fissile material was so small in that bomb that rather than a complete blast, you'd just have ended up with a dirty bomb creating a massive patch of radiation for enemy troops to walk through. It would have probably killed people through radiation in a quarter mile radius of the blast. Unsurprisingly, the US weren't willing to contaminate their training grounds, so instead crews were trained using depleted uranium. And thanks to the lack of testing, the weapon was also, frankly, shit. The bomb did not have a disarm, meaning that it was guaranteed to go off and kill everything nearby even if it was dropped while loading or fired in error. Its maximum range was just over a mile and it was woefully inaccurate, with the bomb getting the nickname the atomic watermelon because of its terrible aerodynamics. Quite often, you couldn't predict where the bomb was going to go, potentially hundreds of feet off target, meaning it was likely the bomb's radius would also include the crew who fired it. So much so, the US Army insisted it could only be fired if the crew could all hide behind some kind of earthen ditch to give them a chance of, you know, not dying. The US Army proposed giving it to the German Army, knowingly expecting them to be used as suicide troops in the event of a Russian invasion of the West. The weapon remained in use until 1967, when Brigadier General Alvin Cohen finally realized the greatest flaw of all. He was giving five men, commanded by a sergeant, the power to start a nuclear war. If one of the crews, for whatever reason, ever decided to shoot their weapon, the US would immediately find itself at DEFCON 1 and engaging its entire strategic nuclear arsenal. It was an accident waiting to happen. A single fence line shooting or person panicking would obliterate the entire world. And so the Davy Crockett was never fired in anger. Instead, it can be found in several military museums around the world. A stark reminder of both how we came close to nuclear war and how incredibly dumb the army can be. Zach, that's what you should have tried to structure yours as, because that was a good argument. I see you're rubbing it in, smugly. Just, just a little. <laughs> um, that was that was very good, Kit. Um, I, I think all of those, you know, the tactical nuclear weapon things, like the artillery piece that would fire a sort of one kiloton warhead 
just far enough away that you won't die immediately, but you'll probably die next week. All of those sorts of things are 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 insane. Um, so it was never actually used, even in test. They just it kind was, of had the idea deployed. and figured it was all right. Uh, so it was so they tested it with depleted uranium and they tested the warhead separately, but they never combined the two to test them. Uh, and yet they still made 2,100 of the things and had them deployed in West Germany. They were ready to go in case of a Russian invasion. And they basically they were fired by an air horn. Yeah, they were basically they were basically a Nerf gun uh, that would that would punt out a mini nuke and hope that it would go far enough to uh, to kill the enemy and not you. This is basically some Fallout Four sort of stuff. It, it is exactly Fallout Four. Yeah, that's I'm pretty certain that that's where they got the idea of the uh, of the Fat Man launcher. Um, I, 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 I think this, this is, this is, I think you're, you're right as well. Nuclear weapons is pretty, pretty stupid idea in and of itself. Um, Holmes, where do you fall on the flying, the nuclear watermelon? Yeah, no, it's, um, it's a convincing argument. I think I agree. Nuclear weapons would have probably won hands down because they are basically ridiculous, but this seems, what I don't understand about this one is that, if they were never going to, once it was deployed, they were ne- they were never they realised they were never going to fire it. When did they make come to that decision? Was it after they it was only finished came to the or? decision not to fire it in uh, 1968? So they initially had it they had it in, in service for ten years, used as detachments, as I say, in Germany and Korea. And the intention was fully that if the Russians started rolling over, they would use it as sort of area denial. The idea was that you launch this nuclear bomb and it would create a radiation blast, a sort of a dead zone that no one could pass through in the same way that you would use a sniper to try and deny the enemy ground. But of course, because it was so woefully inaccurate, they had no idea where the nuclear bomb was going to go. It was entirely possible they would nuke their own side. Yeah, which is particularly stupid. And then, yeah, I think you mentioned it. What was the radius of the blast zone? So how, what type of area are we talking about? We're talking about a quarter of a mile radius. Um, so that, that's half a mile diameter uh, from the actual blast. And you're looking at a 20-ton blast initially uh, in the immediate surrounding area, and then uh, enough radiation to kill anyone for something like the next sort of three or four years um, in a half mile diameter. And were they absolutely sure that you know the Russians would respond heavy, in kind but heavier if they were going to use it? Well, they had absolutely no idea. I mean, this was one of those weapons that was developed, as I say, in nineteen in the nineteen fifties. We're talking about just before the Cuban Missile Crisis, it's the height of the Cold War. The Americans are very much invested in atomic power. They're exploring all kinds of ideas and anything that's got nuclear or atomic in it generally gets the go ahead. I mean, bear in mind in this decade, they were actually flying uh, fighter jets into mushroom clouds to see what was inside, um, which was something they were doing on a regular basis. So the idea of nuclear safety just hadn't emerged at that time. So on that basis, and this is more for my own, just my own interest. The project, how did they store the projectiles? If they, if there was no safety caps, like you said, were they just? Did they take any safety precautions, or were they just treated like any other form of ammunition? That, or is, that, that is a very good question. Um, the, the the short answer is there weren't much any <laughs> many extra precautions. They were giving out nuclear weapons to sergeants um, just in case of, of deployment. Um, they would generally have a uh, only one or two. Um, on hand. They did have a reload rate, um, which was sort of projected for the, as I said, they never actually used the uh, the things in anger. 
they did have a reach, a reach a reload rate. So the idea was to use one or two of them, um, but they were they were limiting the numbers. But in terms of actually just handing them out, there are loads of David Crockett warheads that were just scattered around Germany, essentially, in the same way as any other ordnance. To be and fair, if that have... terrify you at this point. I have no idea what will. To be fair, having a sergeant in charge of it is probably better than most of the officers who would have given the order in the first place. Well, that's a fair argument, I guess. What's, what's the line from Broken Arrow? What's more scary, we've lost a nuclear weapon or it happens so often we've got a code word for it. <laughs> uh, that's, that's compelling. I like that one. Um, if, if anyone hasn't realized, I'm trying to string this out to see how much more cider Beth can drink before we ask her to do hers. Um, but no, that's, that's good. Thank you very much, Kit. That was, that was particularly stupid. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached that point of the evening where following a bottle of wine, a can of cider, and a reasonable amount of sugar, not normal levels of sugar, but still a good amount of sugar, we come to Great War Group trustee Bethany Moore. Beth, are you still with us? Oh, just about. Just I, about. If it makes you feel any better, I didn't think you'd be this bad. So I apologize. <laughs> Trust me, this is not my worst. There are a couple of people in this room who have seen me at my worst. <laughs> Thumbs ups and nods. That's what we yeah, like to see. this is not that bad. I mean, it's bad enough, but it could be worse. <laughs> well, in that, in that case, we'll just wait a few minutes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Right. Do this thing. Let's what, do this. Flowers. <laughs> right. Okay. So obviously, the whole premise of this evening has been about the most stupid invention, and and we've heard a couple of you know presentations and. The judges have not said their inventions and this, that or the other, but I'm going to continue with mine because mine sort of falls into that category. But I really hope that they like the angle I've gone with this instead. So start off with tanks. Obviously, tanks are a very fearsome weapon. They're armoured massive well-armed all-terrain vehicles that can destroy pretty much everything in their way and let's not start with those dirty minds people um they're a formidable weapon um whilst the tank is inherently not a stupid invention in and of itself this one most certainly is it's the most redundant of weaponry and it's the most stupid invention of all time. And it's something that the Czechoslovakian army had, which was called the Tanchik VZ-33, whose designers took one look at traditional specifications of tanks and said, fuck it. It's not something that it looks, if you have a look, if you all want to get your um, get Google up and have a look. It's spelled T-A-C-T-A-N-C-I-K-V-Z-3-3. And just have a look at it. It's something that you might liken to a clown car, maybe. It's not something that you would certainly see, you would ever see trundling across the battlefield. But unfortunately for the Czechoslovakians, that's exactly what it was. That is exactly what it was designed to do. 
1930, someone proposed to the Czechoslovakian military that it might be a quite a good idea to buy a few British post-First World War Carden Lloyd tankettes, so not even full-scale tanks, um, and use them as a template to build their own um, sort of tiny battalion of, of, of tanks. Um, you know, you could think maybe it might be some, some tactical advantage, some really small armoured units that could move around quite easily. Um, could also be quite tricky in the battlefield, you know, really thinking, are those really, really tiny tanks in the distance or are they normal sized tanks? So hopefully potentially something the Czech military could use to their advantage. No, no, no. This is something that really, really did not pay off very well. The main reason for the green lighting of the Tanchik was good old fashioned money. Small tanks are cheaper than big ones. And as the Czech authorities were about to find out, they're also much, much worse at tanking. The 70 manufactured, manufactured, oh God, I'm so drunk. The 70 manufactured Tanchiks were not only bad, they were hilariously bad. They weigh approximately 2.3 tonnes, so a fair size, but it's their dimensions that really are quite laughable. In length, they are 2.7 centimetres, which is 8 feet 10 inches. In width, they were 1.7 metres, 5 foot 9 inches. And in height, they were 1.5 metres which is four foot nine inches and had a crew of two people. So the majority of the people in this room would be, and the uh, accurate term here is fucked. Um, and as a small person myself, I can attest that small things do not have the same level of power and punch as big things. Get your minds out of the gutter, people. Um, they're also very severely under-armoured. The front armour of the, this tankette was 12 millimetres thick, which is 0.47 inches. The sides, has an, the sides had a thickness of 8 millimetres, which is 0.31 inches. The top was 6 millimetres, 0.24 inches thick. And the bottom plates were 6 millimetres thick in thickness as well. I cannot believe I'm getting all of these measurements out while I am this pissed. Um, how many? How many inches is big? Just so we, just so we know. <laughs> a lady never discusses those things. <laughs> um, but all how, of these. How many? How many centimeters to an inch? Just so everybody can know. Um, I don't know. So I'm. I, I was. Only, I'm young. I was only brought up in centimeters. The inches are for you, old folk. Um, uh, right, okay, right, stop distracting me. I need to get back to what I was doing. So, all of these, oh god, right, stop. Okay, so all of those measurements that I did impressively get out whilst being drunk. Um, this was deemed enough to be able to deflect armor piercing bullets fired from a distance of 200 and 130. Oh, God, 125 metres from the front and 185 metres from the sides. And it was... What's, in, what's that in feet? 
uh, I can do yards. I've got it measured in here in yards. So that's 125 metres or 137 yards from the front and 185 metres or 202 yards from the sides. Okay. So that enough? Three, three, feet, three feet to a metre. So how many is three feet to a yard? Even how, how uh, I don't know. I, I think it would have I, just over 500 yards. Okay. I, I, think it would help my judging if I, I think it would help my judging if I had that in fathoms, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right okay stop this is already hard enough and you keep interrupting me yeah. stop <laughs> so okay so the driver then sat on the right hand side using a i'm going to go for inches for the old people 11.8 inch times 4.9 inch observation port protected by two inches of bulletproof glass and an armored shutter which was 0.079 inches in in gap as well and the gunner on the left had a similar vision port but that was half the size of the drivers it was a water-cooled engine of 30 horsepower which could go at a maximum speed on the road of 22 miles per hour you know this seems like a seriously under under strength piece of equipment there was essentially no suspension. It consisted of two small road wheels fastened onto a frame. These two frames were then paired together and sprung with springs that made a wheel carrier, one wheel on either side. The vehicle could cross a ditch 1.2 metres or 3 foot 11 inches wide, cross an obstacle half a metre or 20 inches high and ford a stream of 0.4 metres, 16 inches deep. The weapons on this machinery uh, consisted of two machine guns that frankly would have been more useful if the two guys manning the, the tank just took them off the vehicle and charged at the enemy on foot. Um, its steering was ridiculously complex. The ride was really rough. The cramped insides of the vehicle meant that the guy tasked with driving also had to operate the machine guns as well, which were hard enough on their own because they were difficult to reach and next to useless, thanks to the jerky movements of the Tangic. Um, and if the com near complete lack of offensive and defensive capabilities and nigh on impossible steering of the vehicle wasn't enough, the Tangic had one last absurdly dangerous indignity to offer its crew. Um, because it didn't feature a radio, they had to communicate with the outside world by physically sticking an arm out of the, out of the machine to give hand signals. So when your armoured assault vehicle requires its crew to stick their hands out of the armour at regular intervals to gesture to the world what they're doing, you're either harbouring an irrational hatred of hands and arms or you're just a very bad weapons designer. These are being used for, throughout the 1930s by the Czechoslovakians. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I think I mentioned earlier on, there were 70 of them that were ordered by the Czechoslovakian government. Um, the Germans at the beginning of the Second World War captured 40 of them almost immediately. Um, there's no record of them being used further on so they're probably either scrapped or relegated to training duties um the slovakians did use the last 30 of them um during the slovak national uprising in september 1944 but little is known of what they actually do during that time and this is just i hadn't actually sort of prepared an ending and i really wish i had now because i'm too drunk to really properly think of one but essentially 
this is such a ridiculous piece of weaponry of something that had been developed that could have been very very useful they chose to go with the design that was absolutely for want of better for want of a better word shit um it is the worst invention in the history of weaponry for sure and it is also the worst invention the stupidest invention in the history of humankind and I've done that drunk as well. So surely I get bonus points for that. <laughs> um, Holmes, I'm, I'm, I need to compose um, after you. I mean, so. I, I did, I did look at it on the internet, and it, it, it does look a bit rubbish. It looks like one of those. Rubbish rides you used to get outside supermarkets. If you put 10p in, a little kid could go up and down in it for a couple of minutes. It looks like one of those. So it does look ridiculous. Um, but then we basically got about five minutes of measurements. It was a bit like standing behind a builder in home base, really. So it's quite hard to, <laughs> quite hard to visualise all of those. I mean, it, it looks rubbish. It sounds rubbish. It didn't really work in action by the sounds of it. I mean, you have to wonder why there wouldn't be, there would have been better, you know, pulling their money and making fewer but bigger ones. Well, everything's better big. True. Well, I see now the truth comes out. We're, we're back to that Viking fossilised Viking shit again, aren't we? For, <laughs> you know, to try and keep the tone slightly higher. Um, so I, I think it's it's a good call. I'm slightly, slightly disappointed we haven't got more ridiculous ones tonight, though. That's my, you know... I said it before, but Victorians made all sorts of crazy shit, like, you know, asbestos gas-powered baby rattles and stuff like that. That's, that's what I was really, really hoping for tonight, rather than, you know... I mean, we've got a bit militaristic. But, well, stable doors accepted, of course, but, you know. Matt? Yeah. Um, yeah, the hand signal thing isn't as bad as you think, really, considering, you know, in British tanks, so they didn't have radios, once you were buttoned up, yeah, you, know, you couldn't tell anybody anything except you know shouting at your driver that you know he's driven over the the hamper. Um, I again, I highly enjoyed it. I wish we could have left you for another ten minutes because then the 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 measurements would have been even more enjoyable. Mate, if you'd left me for another ten minutes, my god, that would have been a whole another level. I'm sure there would have been clothes coming off at some point. The one question I do want to ask is actually, Lockie, is how many inches in a horsepower? But, how many no, inches in a horsepower? I thought that was oh. a brilliant question. No. Um, no a, horse, a horse inch is different from human inches. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you can post a link in the sidebar if you want. <laughs> I... If you'd have, if you'd have, if you'd have let me go, one of the first ones, we'd have been having a very, very different conversation. So, well, you still. This is won. all on you, Bono. Yeah. You still wouldn't have won because you know you're ba again. This is the same sort of thing that we've said with Chris and you know with, with Zach. You've you've gone after something overly specific of something that was just a poor, poor implementation of a reasonably good idea. Um, but aren't most stupid inventions? Isn't that what most of them are well uh, an asbestos 
gas powered baby rattle i suppose you give that to the kid you don't actually like don't you you know go go play with this in the garden and shake it if you think about most shit ideas they've come from something that already exists anyway so aren't most stupid inventions going to be from something that have already happened so invention by definition is an idea in and of itself that's really you're talking about implementation yeah so I'm just trying to think of really sort of obtuse I mean, ways but to all of us this. have really done something that's already an idea that's just been further implemented. No, that's fucking bullshit. Because you look <laughs> at Wikipedia doors article, you will not find <laughs> saloon doors on there. But a door all is right? a door. This is a totally different. Yeah, and this is a fucking <laughs> shit one. If it even is to, one. <laughs> to be fair, Heather's was unique. Heather's was unique, so... Yeah. For babies, yes. For animals, no. We'll be, we'll be coming. Animals out. That's another argument. I mean, you could put animals in it. No one's saying you can't. <laughs> Probably not best at the best same time as babies, though. The baby might eat the animal. Maybe you don't like the baby. I don't know. <laughs> we could put a baby in with a rat. It would be very good. We could put the steam or whatever the powered rattle is in with the baby in the baby cage and put another animal in it. It's fine. Fight, 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 fight. Winner stays on, kind of. Thing. <laughs> yeah. You could spray it to cover up the creatures in the cage. And <laughs> sort of last man standing. Maybe we should just sort of combine the ideas. We get a submarine, a K class submarine, we put a baby cage and some saloon doors on there. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> It'll sink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> saloon doors on a submarine that doesn't sound like a particularly smart idea well maybe in a submarine that'd be a funny idea <laughs> in the mess hall you what imagine mess it hall? in boat Holmes' favourite movie them diving through the saloon doors between the bulkheads <laughs> going here <laughs> alarm alarm <laughs> alarm we've got these that. shit doors <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I think we flogged that horse. Um, right. I'm just looking at my phone. We, 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 as as judges, we we have made a decision. Um, which should have been. We should have left it for another ten minutes to see Beth get all those. We've still got time to go around the room and see yeah, uh, what everyone's favourite yeah. is. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, but I, just, I, I just like. Um, Beth to go back and reread that Wikipedia page for us all because that was that was that was most useful. I memorized those statistics. Thank you very much. From you very totally didn't, page. Beth, because you couldn't remember any of them. Yeah. That's because I'm pissed, <laughs> and if I'd have got, been allowed to go an hour ago, would have actually sounded good. But what, what I did like was when you got to the end of the bit about Slovakia. That's where the page ends. So when you went, I really don't know what more to say. <laughs> 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 I try. Okay, so let's. I'd let's, like to let's... see you all do it the level of pissed that I am. So challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so we, we have another one of these coming up in two weeks. We want Chris to drink solidly between now and then. <laughs> I can't do that one. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Four weeks, got four, four weeks. <laughs> right, let's do okay. this. Okay, um, Clive, your favourite. I mean, sorry. There have been some marvellous presentations tonight, which have been terribly entertaining. But in reality, the invention that I heard tonight that was the one you'd really want to see in action is the baby cage. 
It is just superb. Couldn't have thought of anything more stupid if I had tried. So that has to get my vote. Oh. In that case, Heather, are you going to say Clive's was great? Sure. She better. Okay, good. There we go. Reciprocal. <laughs> this is, you know, we're feeling the love after, <laughs> after two, two and a bit hours. Of, so, no, seriously, which one did you like? Clive's. Of course. <laughs> Did I read the right cue card, Clive? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> check, check, checks in the post. Um, Kit, I am going to go for Clive as well. Actually, I just thought that was really entertaining. Oh, oh, getting the love tonight, Clive. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, Marin, balloon doors all the way for me. <laughs> oh, Yay! You've made, you've made a big man very happy. I wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Stand up, Lockie. That's what she said. Um, Very good. Uh, good. <laughs> Lockie, what, what about you? Do you know what? I was quietly entertained by James's shit flying car. Uh, <laughs> I've got to say, that does sound fucking rubbish. And the fact that the inventor got in it, took it up in the air, fucked it up, Stacked it and died. Just like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a history hack cliche. It would have been funny apart from all the death. Like, well, no, I think that <laughs> remains quite funny. <laughs> so fucking, yeah, that, that one for me. Uh, uh, all right. James, there you go. You've got, you've got some loving. Which one did you like? Actually, it's got to be the baby cages. The, it was accepted as well for so many decades. And how stupid an idea it was. Yeah, baby cages all the way. Spoken like someone who's never had children. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Chris. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you, Matt. Um, I, as much as I loved Heather's presentation, the idea sometimes of putting my boys in a cage and just putting them over the window, just, yeah, it's, it's a good, good, it seems like a brilliant idea to me. Um, the Royal Navy is stupid. They come up with some really crap designs, but I'm going to go for Kit because the army are even dumber than anyone that thinks they can irradiate their own men and then sacrifice German, brave German soldiers. It's a terrible idea. Uh, yeah, maybe not the last bit. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Zach? I'm really torn tonight because I was going to go for nuclear bombs, but then heard Kit was doing one. Was going to do baby cages, but heard that Heather was doing one. So basically, I just should have gone with form and just stolen. But I think the best delivery has to be Lockie and his shit fucking door concoction. He, he did manage to get all of the swear words into that, which I thought was quite impressive. <laughs> which even for history hack, that is you know, set, setting the bar up there. Um, Lockie rant is a vulgar thing. I found a benefit of saloon doors, though. You could potentially Fuck do off. the okey pokey through them. No, no, no. That, I'm editing that bit out, James. Um, <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> um, Beth, darling, thank you for putting up with us. Who, who, who is your favourite this evening? I don't like any of you anymore. <laughs> I'm just going to say that now. Glug, glug, glug. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for 
no, there's two people I still like in this room, and that's Merrin and Heather. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick them two because they they're the ones who are nice to me. Uh, but no, those were both really like Heather's was a really insanely stupid idea, and Merrin's was just hilarious. So I'm gonna go for them two together, and the rest of you can just suck it. Sure, why not? <laughs> and and on that note, let me just text Holmes to change our top three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mean the judges. <laughs> <laughs> okay um thank you everyone that was very enjoyable um and i'm not just saying that i, I have actually enjoyed myself this evening but that's that's ruin that's ruined some of you's evening by you not making the list so holmes who was I, in third I, well i think before we do third i think we have to give an honorable mention to heather oh, yes. and it's been a popular choice amongst everyone else i mean it is ridiculous and utterly stupid, but from what we've heard, it seemed to work. So I think that's that's where it fell down. If every every other one fell off the wall and the child plummeted to the death, it might have meddled, shall we say? Yeah. Mm. If if, if um, you'd said like twenty thousand children died in nineteen twenty four falling from windows, you know that I think you would you would have won it. Just yeah, and then if they you know if they carried on using it for another four years, I think that would have you know that was what it was missing really. But anyway. In third I think the place, baby club kind of like covered it up the deaths. Mm. Just a little. Well, I mean, He's starting a baby cage conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> Massive cover up. Yeah. Well, yeah, Chelsea. But mm. in in third place is is Lockie, which was a, a brilliant delivered round, and probably the 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 type of thing we were actually looking for tonight. Hmm. But on quite a low level, you know, saloon doors don't really affect anyone either way, really. But the way it was delivered, oh, was shit, no. okay. yeah, <laughs> that's true. Second place, Clive, oh. very persuasive arguments. And despite my cynicism, I agree with about 90% of what you've said. We do tend to live in a country where people demand to drive how and as often as they like in the style that they like and as cheaply as possible. And I don't think that's particularly healthy, but. I don't think we've hit, we've hit the consequences of the stupidity yet. I think that will be for later generations. But Clive's second this week. Yes, he is, and I, I, I just want to echo that. I as soon as he said it, and I made my mute mutey joke. I have to admit, it was it was compelling, but it wasn't compelling enough. But before we get to this night's winner, we have an honourable mention. It's very rarely that the base bodily functions could cause so much merriment among a group of people as high class as this group is here this evening. But Marin Walters has lowered the tone to such a degree that we couldn't let it pass um, through the, you know, the, 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 the white tunnel of, of porcelain covered with an oily substance. Yeah. All right. All right. Already. All right. All right. <laughs> Marin, we we loved it. We thought it was superb. Um, you guess honourable mention um, along with he Heather for that one because it could have been number two. It wasn't number one. Oh. Mm. Because who was number one? It was Kit. Zach. Kit. Oh no. Kit. Kit. Yes. Yeah, uh, it was. It was. It was staggering the fact that this was used for ten years. In, in three different theatres as well. It's just insane. It, 
it's probably not something that you'd use as a pickup line in 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 the bar is it oh you're a soldier what do you do oh i <laughs> i've got a nuclear <laughs> i've got a nuclear bazooka that could actually work if you pick up <laughs> i'll give it a try <laughs> full report back yeah at least a thousand words um so yes there we go um that was reasonably successful i think everybody um thank you ever so much for that um we're going to be back in two weeks time with the where are we i'm looking at the the sheet that i managed to break that sent zach apoplectic the other earlier today oh we're doing the worst royal film so there we go everybody get watching your movies um and find out the worst royal film the criteria for that could be quite broad or we could just all vote for the same thing which mm. i don't know what are we thinking well, no, that's w though sorry w is banned Correct. Oh, we banned W. Okay. We would ban W because one is terrible and two, no one wants to get banned from the Royal Archives. Presumably, we all just go for the shortest one possible so that Holmes doesn't get fucked off with us. I'm not, I'm here, I'm not here for that one. Go for okay. the longest ones you want. And if you can shut somehow yeah. shoehorn in a German U boat, good luck to you. Because <laughs> I, I thought we could do television <laughs> as well. So I'm going, I've gone for a series, 28 episodes long. Oh, right. Who, who is the poor sap that is judging? Not me. I did it this week. I, I think we should make it Zach because he's the, he. he yeah. I think he's the one who came up with this one. <laughs> um. Anyways, yeah. So there, there we go. So we've got we've got that. That's yeah. Rest worst royal depiction on on celluloid or digital Netflixy sort of thing. Um. Mm -hmm. So Clive can do the crown. Um. Right. No, not the crown. Right before before we finish. Ooh. While I'm still fairly competent, can I just say very, very quickly that it is um, a really important day tomorrow? You mean and today? We should this all goes out charge our glasses because it is Mr. Zach's Zach White's birthday tomorrow, and we should all wish him a very, very happy birthday for happy thirteenth birthday, Zach. Happy birthday to the wonderful Mr. Zach White, who is absolutely fantastic, and wish you all the very, very best. So, thank you all for your hard work for history hack and just thank you for being a wonderful person zach yeah what a lovely bunch of people you are that was me thinking you're all card-hearted bastards <laughs> no, we, we are beth is nice you're <laughs> um i i would <laughs> refer beth back to the message she sent me two and a bit hours ago when she said that she wanted to do this she did actually say she was going to sing happy birthday no i didn't no, I did. You did. There we go. Where no, we? I didn't. On. Bethany no, Moore, too much. Yeah, come on. You're, you're at just the right stage of drunk to do it. See, I think because you're trying to stitch her up, you should do it as well, Bernie. Well, I see. I, 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 I don't, I, I don't, I don't celebrate birthdays due to my religious persuasion. So I'd be getting struck by a bolt of lightning. Um, but trying to throw Beth under the bus with this one, I think, is much more enjoyable. I ain't gonna mm. do it. Uh, she ain't gonna do it. <sighs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> oh, How can you resist, Beth? Go shit. on. Uh, if it was a Disney song, she'd sing it. Yeah. 
nothing ever good happens on somebody's birthday in Disney movies. They usually end up turning into, I don't know, a goat or something. That's a cherry <laughs> thought. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, all, all, all the best for tomorrow, mate. Um, I'm not positive, mate. Sorry. <laughs> if you're listening to this tomorrow, then it's Zach's birthday today, which is probably too much for Beth's mind to take with that much cider and sugar in it. So, so Beth, it is tomorrow, Saturday. but it is tonight. Is it tomorrow yet? <laughs> it might be soon. And on that wonderful conclusion to the evening, we'd like to say thank you to Clive. We'd like to say thank you to Kit. We'd like to say thank you to Marin. Night, John boy. Good night, you. Right. Thank you to Heather. Thank you to Lockie. Thank you to Chris. Thank you to Zach. Thank you to Andre. (laughs) Thank you to James. (laughs) And of course, thank you ever so the booze suppliers of Bethany Moore. Good night. We'll be back in two weeks. Bye. The cold never bothered me anyway. With that much booze, I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I have to stop because one of you is going to record me again. We're already recording. We're already (laughs) recording. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.